Welcome back to the Indotechno Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. I'm Alan Hellowell, founder of startup consultancy Gizmo Advisors. While marketplace e-commerce in Indonesia has enjoyed several years of secular growth, and now that growth is now easing, there is one segment of e-commerce that continues to grow at multiples of the broader industry. E-groceries, in the case of today's company, has grown 10x compared to earlier this year. Still, the category represents only 0.5% of total retail grocery in Indonesia, a small fraction compared to e-commerce's broader 10% penetration of Indonesian retail. We're pleased to have join us Vincent Chandra, Chief Executive Officer of Indonesian e-grocery category leader Astro. We're particularly pleased to have him join us to discuss the drivers behind this rapid growth and the future of e-groceries in Indonesia. Thanks for joining us today, Vincent. Thanks, Alan, for having me. Excited to be here. Fantastic. Now, Vincent, we describe Astro as a quote-unquote online shopping service with more than 1,000 selected products. Moreover, your shopping will arrive in 15 minutes. Tell us about this value proposition and how you got there. When we started, we were looking at our own customer problem as well as the market problem. So when we start with the market problem, we found that in 80% of customers that chat transactions through e-commerce ask the same thing, where there's any products available, when can you deliver it by? That results in a lot of friction to just get things that are simple and things that you really want to have. On more personal basis, my wife was cooking and then she was like, hey, if you want to eat, please help get onions or cooking oil. If you want to eat, then you have to go and grab them. However, during this COVID situation, it's not the most convenient, most easy to just go out there. And there's no options that can help you during this period. And if you look at a broader customer behavior, cooking is something that happens on a daily basis, three times a day, in fact, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we are basically addressing uh, the value proposition of delivering in 15 minutes with providing that convenience to address these daily necessities that have been previously unmet. Understood. Now, Vincent, the first things that jumped out at me in beginning to familiarize myself with the company are that A, you have an impressively large founding team of five, and B, the entirety of this five-person leadership team comes from two of the country's leading tech companies, namely Tokopedia and Traveloka. I have a few questions that I want to get through here. First, exactly how did you all come together? Yes, great question, Alan. So I've known each of my co-founders for at least two to three years, both personally as well as professionally. I've actually met even one B, one of my co-founders, 10 years. Like we go way back when we were studying together overseas. And so I've known that in and out. They've also known me quite well. So we were thinking about always aspire to start our own startups as well. So we grew up together and then we can talk about what are some of our strengths, our complementary room for improvements. And we were brainstorming different ideas and then we look into various business models and then we look in the pay points and we landed upon Astro. But we have known one another for quite some time now. So it's not a just a serendipity meeting, but we've been known and working with one another. So I assume that familiarity has been quite crucial in achieving the massive progress that we've achieved so far. Now, second question, how has each of these two iconic companies, again, Tokopedia and Traveloka, 
informed or impacted how we ourselves have formed and run Astro. In other words, do we embrace the quote unquote Tokopedia way or the Traveloka way and how we have built or how we run the company? That's a great question again, Alan. We actually share notes like, oh, this is how we did it at Tokopedia. This is how we did it at Traveloka. And then we can get the best of both worlds. And I think one thing that stood out was that both these companies experienced great growth as well as in terms of being impacted by COVID. And many of our co-founders have been part of that journey and experience. And that has definitely helped build the foundation and thought structure in us navigating this growth stage as well as being impacted by COVID. To give a bit of a perspective, when we launched in September, that was pretty much during Delta wave. And then not too long ago, we were also impacted by Omicron wave, right? So I think that hyper growth and crisis management experience from both companies has tremendously helped us navigate through these ups and downs times. So in many ways, a proof point of the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Now, <laughs> Ensign, what business models did we consider before deciding to pursue what I would call quick commerce? And what attractions did quick commerce have compared to the other models in order for us to decide to focus on this? I actually graduated from Togopedia and I was looking around different business models. I personally was like taking intentionally a bit of an adventurous trip, exploration, and I was selling fried chicken at one stage, fried tofu. Um, I was doing like healthy e-commerce retailers. And then I think that's where we found the insight of, hey, a lot of customers ask the same question about when can you deliver it by? Is the stock already available? So from that, basically, we thought, hey, there must be something more convenient, more than this. But we didn't want to do just the same one P retail as a solution. So we looked through different business models, and then we found that quick commerce can solve these pain points really well, especially in a large untapped market of you know, e-groceries. It wasn't obvious at the start because lots of people were like, oh, why do I need groceries within 15 minutes? But I think after people have tried it, it's a little bit like if you go to work using a car, unlikely you would go for, let's say, using a horse for your commute moving forward because of the delta and those customer experience and the convenience that it provides. So it is a bit of a changing behavior, but it does take some time for people to actually try it out and then get accustomed to it. And hopefully there's a lot of customers that stay with us. I have to admit, I do get really weird looks when I go to work in a horse-drawn carriage, but now I understand what may be going on here in Singapore. Now, one external survey that I looked at claimed that groceries delivered from grocery stores in Indonesia immediately leapt 20% when COVID set in. Assuming that Indonesia makes progress in opening back up and relaxing restrictions, do we run the risk of this growth reversing? It's a very good question. And we also try to get as many data points as possible, both in Indonesia as well as other countries where they've opened up a bit more. What we found is quite interesting, like what we talked about before, how it's changing behavior. A lot of customers that have grown accustomed to it will tend to stick and stay. Of course, there'll be a fraction of people that will prefer to shop their previous way. But what we found is that majority really find the convenience suitable. They'll tend to stay and keep using it. And if we look at the bigger picture, Astro just started nine months ago. And so I think there's still a lot more customers that we haven't reached. And we really look forward to be able to provide these innovations and better convenience for customers across Indonesia. Okay. So I'm hearing that these gains in penetration are very much sustainable. And if anything, there's probably greater penetration going forward. 
Now, I read that quick commerce companies raised a stunning 10 billion US dollars last year. And food and grocery delivery in the global context indeed has seen some very successful innovation, but it is also littered with a number of very expensive failures. What have we learned not to do from some of those peers that have not succeeded? So when we look at global counterparts, a lot of them, of course, always deploy innovations and then there will always be failures along the way. And it's part of the path to innovation. And I think what we have learned to do and not to do is that we learn to take some calculated risk, do some innovation. I think that's still something that would not go away. But I think what we have learned not to do is that we should not over aggressively deploy capital or do innovations that are quote unquote, a bit more capital intensive or expensive, given that the market has tremendously changed in terms of how it approached appetite for growth and aggressiveness. So that's something we're very mindful of. We want to make sure that whatever experience that we do would be able to provide incremental gain, but not at the risk of the entire company, which I think many of the global counterparts have changed their way of working as well, since the global market sort of shifted the, the perspective in terms of how they perceive growth. Thanks for that. That makes eminent sense. So basically kind of part for the course, success and failure relative to other parts of e-commerce and internet for that matter. Can you define for us one term that seems elemental? to our value proposition, the dark store? Yeah, so the way we work is that we set up hubs. We call it hubs. Some people call it dark stores. So we set up hubs located near the neighborhood that we want to cover. For example, in Jakarta, you have in Nantang, Ponok Indah, Kapagading, Pik. So these are some of the locations or zip codes where we'll deploy a hub and then to serve the neighborhood around the area. From each of these hubs, we'll have end-to-end -end supply chain. So we have the goods Right now we have 1,500 SKUs. They are tailored towards that neighborhood and communities. So we will have that products available. And then once customers within that vicinity area ordered from our application, we'll route it to the nearest hub. And then that hub with our dedicated team, picker, packer, driver, will prepare the goods and then deliver it to the address that have been inputted by the customers within 15 minutes. So that's how it works. And then that's why some customers that let's say downloaded from Bandung, Surabaya, and other places in Indonesia, when they download the app, we'll say that, hey, whether it's available or not, and when it's available, we'll make sure these are the things. But if not, then we'll take note and then we'll notify them as soon as we are available for them. Now, Vincent, does Astro work purely through its own network of dark stores? Or does it also work as well as a marketplace that connects various local third-party grocery stores? Currently, we work through our network of hubs. We are still in early stages of fine-tuning our business model as well. In terms of being able to deliver groceries within 15 minutes, we may evolve in the future part of our innovation and strategy. But as of now, everything is served through our hubs. Understood. Now, instant utilization would seem to be very important in this space. For instance, if you can't keep your delivery agents busy for more than several hours a day, the business could struggle. How do we think about utilization of our delivery fleet? Yes, absolutely right. If we think about any businesses that have a retail space or overhead costs, if you have more visitors or customers, then your productivity will increase and therefore you would have a higher utilization, and therefore higher economics and better business. That also applies to us at Astro. So if we have higher customers and therefore better utilization, lower cost per order, and therefore better sort of unit economics as a whole. 
Now, the way we think about it is that we are still a new rising brand in terms of consumer and e-grocery shopping. And what we also want to do is making sure that more and more people know about us so that we are able to deploy more effectively and therefore more customers will come and visit our hubs and stores and applications. That being said, though, I think one most important thing is that we focus on the fundamental, which is like customers that have come to our shopping experience, shopping app. They like it. They, they stay with us. And that's the most important thing for us. Do some customers actually come to our hubs to purchase firsthand or is our value proposition almost entirely delivery? Very good question. We right now focus on deliveries. Our layout of the hubs and stores are actually meant for deliveries. It's like cloud kitchen. So it's not as visitor friendly for walking to the store. Everything is well set up in a way that it's primarily aimed for delivery to customers' faces and homes. Understood. Now, a big picture question. Roughly 6% of Chinese groceries were delivered online in 2020, the last year that we had data available, while the level for South Korea evidently was 34%. Indonesia, as I mentioned in my introductory comments, is at roughly 0.5%. Where do you think we'll be in five years and why? So we think that Indonesia will be around 3% or 4% if things are picking up at a faster rate. The reason is that usually we'll compare country by country data and then we'll sort of plot in China, Korea, like you mentioned, and then see where our trajectory as a whole country has been. And then what happened is that we saw that 0.5% was like China a few years back. And then like within the time span of three to four years, we've seen that, oh, China has achieved that number of around 3 to 4%. That has been quite a similar pattern that we are seeing for e-commerce penetration and adoption. We think that this may also be the case for e-grocery as a particular segment of online transaction. Gotcha. So Vincent, taking it back down to the Astro level, what are our growth targets by the end of 2022 whether it's in terms of number of cities covered or population covered, SKUs offered, et cetera. So we right now have 50 locations, so 50 hubs across Jakarta and the broader metro Jabodetabek. We will start covering even broader and more densely part of Jabodetabek. The next focus will be beyond the market, but for this year, for sure, we'll focus on Jabodetabek. In terms of SKUs that we offer, we have grown into 1,500 SKUs. And then we'll basically fine-tune them. It's not the matter of increasing number of SKUs. It's about fine-tuning each of the hubs to the certain SKUs that's being the favorite of that each of local sort of communities and vicinity. So that's how we go about it. It's about making sure that locations are well-adjusted and fine-tuned towards the customers. In terms of population, I think most people are aware that the Jabodetabek area contains more than 20 million or so. And basically, we are trying to serve as many as possible. But then it takes time and they're definitely to expand to many parts of pockets of Jabodetabek. But we are definitely going as fast as we possibly can. What is our product pricing compared to the average corner grocery store? So the way we set our pricing is that we want to be reasonably priced. We don't want to be too expensive. We also don't want to aim to be the cheapest as well. I think we want to make sure that, hey, it's within the normal range of customer shopping and then we're able to serve. So if we compare to both online and offline, uh, usually we'll be somewhere in between, making sure that it's equivalent and we're not charging premium pricing, even though we're more convenient. 
but we basically want to make sure that, hey, it remains affordable. And this is within the price range that you usually typically shop for. Gotcha. Another basic question about the business. What is our business model? How do we generate revenues currently? Our business model basically is almost like a retail business model where for every single transaction, we'll earn a gross margin out of the product that we sold to customers. And then basically, if we have sufficient number of orders that are generating cash flow and gross margin, then it will overcome the overhead of each of the hubs. And therefore, you have profitable hubs. And then as a whole company, basically, it means that if you have sufficient number of profitable hubs, therefore, you are able to overcome the overhead cost of the headquarter and therefore achieve the pathway to profitability as an entire company. Can you talk more about some of the levers that we can pull to achieve this profitability? If we look into profit, it primarily comes from two buckets. One is on the revenue side and then one on the cost side. So I'll talk about each of them one by one. In terms of revenue side, as we grow more volume and we're able to improve our gross margin by ways of having volume-based pricing, higher order purchase from our suppliers, and therefore we're able to have better margin from that. The other thing that we also started to do is that we also launched private labels. We work with local manufacturers that have great product manufacturing capabilities, and then we're able to deploy that through our sub network to our customers. So that's in terms of revenue. In terms of expenses as well, as the number of customers grow per hub, that basically, as we discussed before, that basically translates to higher utilization, both in terms of manpower as well as the rental costs. So that will inherently increase the utilization and therefore reduce the operating costs as a percentage of revenue. And therefore, by both combination of this increasing revenue and lower cost, that will result in higher profitability. Got you. Obviously, demand density in our markets is quite important. Now, Vincent, do we offer free delivery or do we offer any other promotions to drive our business? We do free delivery for our customers because we do appreciate the customers. A lot of apps already in their phone. Why would they spend time and download the app? And also, I think inherently, there's a lot of people say, oh, can you really deliver in 15 minutes? So what we do is that we provide free delivery and, and first transactions promotion to compensate customers for their effort and time to download our app and give it a shot. So we provide that. But of course, free delivery is something that we provide if you hit certain minimum transaction. And I think it's just a matter of giving it out to, for people to just try first at the start. Understood. So significantly a customer acquisition tool and more selectively a tool to grow frequency or basket size or trigger other types of growth. Now, Vincent, what frequency per month and basket size is common in this industry at this point? And what might the North Star or the longer term targets be in these areas? Yes, we're quite early, so the pattern may be a bit younger. But what we have seen so far is quite a multitude of customer behavior. We have seen some customers transact once every week, once every fortnight. We've also seen customers that transact two to three times a week. And the basket size that we have seen across these behaviors are also quite different. If they transact once a week, typically it's quite similar to a weekly grocery shopping. But if it's two to three weeks, maybe they also transact more smaller items such as ice cream, snacks. So that's what we have seen. We've also seen some instances where they would buy things for their gathering, a small party to watch maybe soccer together or something. And then they will buy a higher quantity just to supply their gathering activities. So we've definitely seen a variety of them. And I think long term, what we hope for is that 
we're able to serve customers on their weekly shopping behavior. And then we're able to alleviate some of their time spent to do this. And then you just stay at home. You can play with their kids or even spend time with their loved ones or great activities. That's what we aspire for. Understood. So really achieving frictionless grocery shopping. Now, Vincent, how do we think about competition, particularly from the big e-commerce platforms with growing delivery capabilities, such as Shopee, Lazada, and even Goto, but also how do we think about more specialist players such as Happy Fresh and Cyrobox? We think that in terms of competition is natural in any markets. I think competition is part of the dynamics to help and push us so that Astro can become even better. What we have observed from global market understanding is that in many markets, there are horizontal e-commerce that usually cater towards multitudes of categories, but specifically for groceries, it's quite tricky. There's wastages, there's upstream, downstream, milamala, smart delivery. So it's quite complicated. And you'll see in many markets, usually there are dedicated e-grocery players. And then as we look into e-grocery as a whole sector, it's such a huge sector that it requires typically different business models and different players serving different business models to cater towards different needs of the customers. So there will be like value proposition of convenience, value proposition of farm to table, value proposition of large amount of selections. So it's definitely a very big market with their different needs from the customers. And we hope that we're able to cater towards a lot of customers' focus areas that really need convenience and high quality products with competitive pricing. And we hope that Astro can become a meaningful place for them. Interesting. So clearly it's becoming an ever more differentiated and therefore specialized industry landscape so that maybe not everyone is piled on top of each other competitively. Vincent, it's been really eye-opening to be able to explore this one slice of e-commerce that is growing and evolving so rapidly. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ella, for having me. You're very welcome. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Endotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi.